Last Sunday, we surveyed the uh, life of Christ using this life of Christ A through Z system. And this morning, we're going to begin our walk through the 26 major events of the life of Christ. And we're going to look at A and B today, which stands for angels announce the pregnancies, the supernormal pregnancy of John the Baptist, who actually is John the baptizing Jewish prophet. He wasn't a Baptist, he was Jewish. And the supernatural pregnancy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we'll look at birth in Bethlehem. So I guess we could say we're having Christmas in uh, in June here for the medical students, because you you're busy during the regular Christmas every year, so we're going to do that for you. And so that's what we'll look at this morning. But as is our custom, I think it's important, let's pray that we'll be teachable to God's Word. And let's pray for those who protect and serve us, including our active military, peace officers, and uh, firefighters. And Michael, who has been traveling to Boston to uh, do good things for his uh, company and to continue the growth of our economy. We thank you, Michael. We're glad you're here. And since uh, he has donated some abstract thought warmers, upper warmers, uppers for me that we'll use in a moment, I'm going to ask you to lead us in opening prayer. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I, I do think, um, I think the highest form of New Testament worship is the Lord's Supper, but I do think the the teaching of the word, not because I happen to be doing it here, but uh, is an act of worship, is an act of fellowship. It's certainly supposed to be edification. I mean, this if you really believe that spiritual growth is empowered by the word of God, if you believe this thing is the inspired word of God and that the Holy Spirit illumines it to us, uh, it's really exciting. I, I, was, I was talking to uh, Ashley, Amber, and Murray, who in addition to Angel and Anthony and Dustin have been students of mine at Cameron, but all, all three of the uh, 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 the folks right there in the middle took communication with me. And uh, after a while, you teach a certain textbook, even if they change it on you. But after you taught a textbook ten or fifteen times, you pretty much feel like you, as a teacher, you've exhausted. You've re- you've read it fifteen times, you've presented it fifteen times, you've answered the questions on it fifteen times. You pretty much know the content of that textbook pretty much backward and forward. I think some full-time teachers, I'm just an adjunct professor. I mean, adjunct. <laughs> thought they were calling me adjunct. But, um, you know, you've got to remember the, the student, this is their first time through, and I think some teachers forget that. But you, you pretty much get sick and tired of the textbook after the 10th time you've taught it, 15th time you taught it. Uh, it doesn't matter how many times I look at Romans, Genesis, Luke. You never get tired of it. And you, this week I saw a lot of stuff I've never seen before, so... It really does confirm that it's the Word of God, I think. But because we are going to have to use our capacity for abstract thought, which Anthony and Jack find very easy, but most of us find difficult, especially early in the morning. These are some abstract thought warmers upper from Boston, Massachusetts, and my my main man, Michael Birch. Last week, a man fell into an upholstery machine. Now he is fully recovered. <laughs> fully recovered. Don't try this at home. A backward poet writes in verse. He writes in verse, I should say. A chicken crossing the road is poultry in motion. You've seen that many times on the ranch, right? I didn't say these were laugh out loud funny. They're just, 
An attempt to warm up your capacity for abstract thought. That's all. Nothing more, nothing less. In democracy, it's your vote that counts. In feudalism, it's your count that votes. (laughs) And finally, no applause. When a clock is hungry, it goes back four seconds. Let's uh, move to the Life of Christ A through Z, One Savior, Four Gospels, 26 events. We walked through this list last time. Today we're going to look at the first two letters. Angels announce birth in Bethlehem, Christmas in June. And we're going to see, among other things, and I say this a lot at Christmas time, the real, real meaning, Dustin. I mean, in my day, Andy, Andy Williams used to have a... Christmas special every year, and they'd sing and they'd dance and they'd have Dean Martin with the martini and everything come out and stuff, and then they'd say, we've had a lot of fun tonight, but let's remember the real meaning of Christmas is, and they'd tell you some liberal platitude that isn't the real meaning of Christmas, you know, there's peace on earth, or be nice to your neighbors, or, you know, it's for the children, or it's more blessed to give than receive, all of which are good things, but the real real meaning of Christmas is The babe in the cattle trough was the God-man savior. And nobody but God would have designed it that way. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, Now, John 1.14 says, uh, The Word, which is the title for Jesus before the beginning, uh, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And, And John, as one of the apostles, saw the transfiguration, the glory in that sense. So I think he's thinking about that in part. And... You know, I like to say, Murray, you look at that that diagram, right? And, you know, we're emphasizing that our Lord Jesus is the active agent of salvation. God the Father is the architect of the plan. Uh, God the Son is the active agent in the plan. He is the sendee. He takes on humanity, tray without ceasing to be deity, uh, makes the payment for our salvation, uh, and so on. And then the Holy Spirit is the activating agent, and I say that, and that's the summary of a lot of, that's a summary of a whole semester of theology, trust me, but I was reading a book recently edited by John Piper called uh, Pierce for Our Transgressions, and one of the chapters called The Theological Framework for Penal Substitution, don't worry about the details there, that's important, but it's, he died in our place kind of thing, but he does a great job of amplifying that. The Father's the architect, the Son's the active agent, the Holy Spirit's the activating agent, very concisely. And just listen to this. I think it's incredible truth here. God the Father gave his, as the architect, gave his Son to save sinners, and all of us qualify, knowing that he would be despised and rejected by those he had made, that he would be a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. God the Son gave himself willingly, undertaking the task appointed for him by the Father. He veiled his glory in a human body, experienced every type of temptation we face without succumbing to any, and lived a perfect human life. Yet he took our sin and guilt upon himself and died a cursed death, suffering in his human nature the infinite infinite torment of the wrath and fury of of his father. After three days, he was vindicated in his resurrection before being exalted to his heavenly throne. From there, he awaits the day of his glorious appearing, second advent, when every eye shall see him, going to be visible, undeniable, supernatural. 
Every knee shall bow before him, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And God the Holy Spirit as the activating agent of salvation, having been sent by the Father and the Son, now works in our hearts through the proclamation of the gospel to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, to draw us to Christ in faith, and to unite us to Christ that we may share in every blessing he has won for us. Bottom line, God, the, the triune God, thus turned aside his own righteous wrath against sinful humanity, endured and exhausted the curse of the law that stood before us, cleansed us of our sin, sin, and clothed us in Christ's righteousness, ransomed us from slavery to sin, the world and the devil, by paying our debt, canceling the devil's power of accusation against us, even though he still uh, questions and slanders the brethren, and liberating us to live new lives empowered by the Spirit triumphed over all evil powers by punishing evil in the person of his son and reconciled us to himself by removing the barrier of sin and enmity between us in order that we, put your name in the blank if you're a believer, Wendy Powers, uh, Angie Miller, Debbie McCoy may stand blameless and forgiven in his glorious presence, credited with the perfect righteousness of his son. That's what Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own through the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness given from God on the basis of faith. Um, in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ as adopted children gazing upon his face for all eternity. That is so beautiful. It's so transcendent. You can't water it down. You can't simplify it without distorting it. But uh, we've got God the Son willingly coming to be the God-man Savior, one person, two natures, climaxed by his righteous, perfect life, his substitutionary atoning death, his resurrection ascension, awaiting what Psalm 110 says is at the right hand of the throne of the Father, waiting to end history on God's terms. So we're going to look at Christmas. Uh, John 1.1, John 1.14, in the beginning was the Word, in the beginning the Word already was, second person of the Trinity. The Word was with God the Father. He wasn't lonely. They didn't create because they were lonely and needed us. And the Word was full deity himself, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that becomes visible and tangible at virgin conception, nine months later, virgin birth. And the way I like to say it, Anthony, uh, instead of giving us stuff, you can get stuff at Walmart. God gave us himself in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's look at A and B in this system this morning. So you're in Luke chapter 1. And let's uh, read verses 5 through 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, Luke puts this in real-time history. This is straight Greek narrative prose intended to be taken literally. There was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. These are going to be the parents of John the Baptist. And they were both righteous in the sight of God. Now, how do you get righteous in the sight of God? Abraham believed the promises of the Messiah, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's talking about the standing, okay? It's going to be interesting. These folks are barren. They can't have children at all. But Joel Olstein will tell you, if you have enough faith, you'll never have stuff like that happen to you. But interestingly enough, Zacharias and Elizabeth, although we're going to see him at one of his worst moments 
in a moment, were two of the greatest people on planet earth, but their righteousness was not their own. It was by faith. That's their standing. They're righteous in the sight of God because they had faith in the promises of the Messiah. And in their walk, they're walking consistently with that. Trust and obey. Walking blamelessly. So standing first, walk second. Uh, or Christian life is not the cause of salvation is the effect of salvation. It's not the root, it's the fruit, right? People want to overlap those or separate them. Uh, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Uh, Scott, this isn't uh, righteous perfection. None of us do that, but it's a righteous direction of life. And these are really, really great people. You're going to meet them someday in heaven. But they had no child. Does that remind you of anybody like in Genesis 12, 15, and 17? Abraham and Sarah couldn't have children either. But God had a timing. God's will is not just a what. It's also a when and a how. So don't put a time limit on God. Had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And now they were both advanced in years. So it's just too late, humanly speaking. Now it happened that while he was performing, that is Zacharias the priest, his priestly service before God in the temple in Jerusalem. These are all real places, real people, real events. So we're talking about events in and around Jerusalem here in this first part of Luke. According to the custom of his priestly office, he was chosen by lot. There were so many priests, you only got to do this maybe once or twice in your whole career, to enter the temple at the time of the morning sacrifice and burn incense inside the holy place in the golden altar there. This would have been the highlight of his whole career. Like I said, once or twice maybe at most. And the whole multitude of people outside of... uh, the temple there were in prayer outside the hour of the incense offering, the morning offering. And an angel, and something happened and had never happened to any of the priests in a long time. Angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zacharias, inside the holy place in the temple, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled. Now, hey, Julie, I've seen all those Rembrandt pictures of, of angels. They're little chubby baby-like. They look like uh, Mason. Mason's seven, 19 months old. Uh, he is kind of scary up close, especially after prolonged periods of time with him. But you see all these little uh, baby, chubby babies with wings, right? Phyllis and all these uh, uh, Renaissance paintings. They don't look like that. Angels look like God's linebackers. Okay, Wendy, they scare you to death when they show up. But you want them to be powerful, don't you? You don't want them to be wimpy. So this angel shows up, and Zacharias is scared spitless. Uh, when Zacharias saw the angel, fear gripped him. But the angel, and angels always do this. They immediately calm you down if they're, when they're talking to believers. They always reassure you and comfort. Don't be afraid. And that's uh, may plus the uh, present active imperative there. Stop being afraid. Now, we'd say chill out. You know, chill out, Zacharias. For your petition has been heard. What do you think he and his wife were praying about? For a super normal birth. And yet, when God answers the prayer, they don't believe it, or at least Zacharias doesn't. Isn't that the way we are? We pray for stuff, and when it happens, we can't believe it. You know, uh, remember when uh, in Acts 12 they arrest James the apostle and they kill him. Then they arrest Peter. They're going to kill him the next day. The church has a prayer meeting all night. Peter is miraculously released from prison, involving an angel. Peter interrupts the prayer meeting. They won't let him in. They think he's one of the bad guys. They can't believe the prayer was answered. Okay, God can answer above anything we ask or think. So they, they've continued to pray, even though all the 
Nothing wrong with the medical experts, but the medical experts says it's too late. It's not going to happen. Your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You're going to name him not Zacharias, but John, the gift of God. You'll have joy, gladness. Many rejoice at his birth. For he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll drink no wine or liquor. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he'll turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. Now watch this, Trey, in verse 17. Uh, your Bible may have some kind of uh, special script in the middle of this verse. There's a reason for that. For it is he, Zacharias' little son, who's going to be coming in nine months, or a little after nine months, actually, who will go as a forerunner before capital H him, the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn, and that's this is to turn the hearts of the fathers. I see a different script in English in my Bible. It's telling me that we're quoting from Malachi chapter 4, an Old Testament citation here, an Old Testament prophecy. John the Baptist is going to prepare the prophetic voice to prepare the nation of Israel for the coming of the Messiah, the forerunner, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous as to make a people ready for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this? And if we're going to paraphrase it, it says, I don't believe it. It's too late. I know we've been praying about it. That's got my wife wanted me to pray about it. A lot of times your wife will tell you to pray for stuff that God wants to do for you. So keep praying, okay? I don't believe it. And you, we can tell based on what the angel says. Man, he just not, he's not buying it, you know? It's too good to be true. I'm an old man. My wife's advanced in years. She's barren. She can't have it. We've been to the, the guy called just said this can't happen. <laughs> it's impossible. How many times do people can't have children, can't have children, and infertility is an increasing problem? I think it's something we're doing to ourselves. I don't believe in a lot of the conspiracy theories, but maybe all those plastic bottles we're drinking water out of contribute. I don't know. I'm just saying if something we're doing seems to contribute to this, uh, and it's a tragic thing. And there's so many Christian couples that have issues with that, and then you see people that have no business having children, have a bunch of them, and the government pays for it. But, uh, you know, you tax something, you get less of it, you subsidize something, you get... More of it every single time that's based on the fallen nature of man. Uh, but anyway, it's too late. We're too late. It's too late. Not going to happen. Angel said, look, bud, I'm coming straight from the top. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to tell you this. Good news, man. Cheer up. It's going to happen. Behold, uh, here's what we're going to, we're going to give you a little punishment here, a little discipline because you, Refuse to believe you're going to be silent, unable to speak and talk about this blessed event until the blessed event happens. Until the day when these things take place because you did not believe. See, he's, he didn't believe it. He just refused to believe it. This was skeptical, categorical disbelief to the direct word of God through an angel. Okay, that's not a good thing. <laughs> Even though, what did we read about him, Scott? This guy's got a righteous standing and he's got a generally very righteous lifestyle, but in a, in, in crisis, sometimes people don't really show who they really are. Now, the people outside are waiting for worship services to start, and the priest comes out, and they blow the horn, and they start the worship services, and it's taking longer than it's ever taken before. So this is a problem, you know. Did he drop dead in there? What happened, you know? Uh, and they were wondering about his delay in the temple, but when he came out, he was unable to speak. He'd been struck dumb, you know. For nine months, and they realized that he had seen a vision based on his, you know, he's using hint. You know, up to 93% of communication can be nonverbal. That's according to the textbook we use now. Up to 93%. So he's using a lot of that here. 
uh, and he kept making signs of them because he remained mute. He's going to be mute for nine months plus. In the days of his priestly service had ended, he went back home. Now, we don't know exactly where he lived, but it would have been somewhere around Jerusalem. So we're in this part, in Judea, the area, in and around Jerusalem. Goes back home, and they get pregnant the old-fashioned way, uh, even though she's too old for it to happen, and he's too old for it to happen. So he goes back home, and after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant super normally. Uh, and she kept herself in seclusion, uh, probably to protect uh, both the health of herself and the baby, but she's not in depression. She's in exaltation that this is the way, this is excitement. This is the way the Lord's dealt with me. We can't hardly believe it. And we've been blessed to look favor upon me, take away my disgrace. It was considered to be a disgrace, unfortunately, not their fault in that culture. The Bible doesn't teach that, but that's the way it was. So we've got the first angelic announcement, not to Mary or Joseph, but to Zacharias, that John the baptizing Jewish prophet is coming. And what was Zacharias' initial response, Scott? It was skeptical disbelief. I just don't believe it, okay? Now, let's go to the second announcement. Look at Luke one twenty six. Now, in the sixth month. Now, if you do Bible McNugget time, you're going to start in verse 26. You're going to have no, six month. That must mean June, right? That's the sixth month, right? Nah! Sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, man. That's what we're talking about. Now, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, she's too old to get pregnant, but she's pregnant. Gabriel, we saw him with Zacharias, was sent from God, not to where the temple is, but to a city very near a Roman army base that was considered to be very unclean by all the aristocrats down here where all the religious people tended to live, up here in Galilee, Nazareth. God even knows what's going on there and is actively at work there, probably doing more work there than he was in Jerusalem at the time if you get my drift, to sit in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, and they're both of the descendants of David as Matthew starts his gospel with. Luke doesn't tell you tell you the details, but trust it. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, this angel says, Greetings, favored one. The Lord's with you in a special way. But she's perplexed at this statement and kept pondering, it sounded like a leading salutation there. I mean, what's what's he got in mind here? And the angel said, don't be afraid. She's afraid again. Stop being afraid. For you found favor with God. For behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you're going to name him Yeshua. He's God's Savior. And he'll be great. That's called understatement. And will be called the Son of the Most High. The Son of Man. The Son of God. Uh and the Lord God, God the Father, the architect of the plan of salvation, will give him ultimately the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. It's going to happen after a literal millennium. I, I'm convinced after second advent on earth for a thousand years and then eternal state. And his king will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? This is not a question of skeptical unbelief. It's a question of faith that seeks more information because it just totally blows her categories, and she's thinking, what's Joseph going to say? She's engaged to Joseph. What's Joseph going to say? That's what's in the back of her mind, I think. You can ask her. You're going to meet her in heaven, too. Uh, Angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit, there's going to be a supernatural virgin conception. You can't reproduce this in the laboratory. It happened that many times. That's it. Holy Spirit come upon you. Power of the Holy Spirit 
I hope most high will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child will be called the son of God. Son of God is a title for the Messiah that emphasizes his deity. Son of man is a title for the Messiah that emphasizes his humanity. Is Jesus the son of God or is he the son of man? He's both, right? One person, two natures, right? And behold, here's a sign for you. Here's some validation. You know, I think God honors uh, honest questions of faith. And he'll give you confirmation, you know, uh, one way or another in scripture and science and whatever. If you understand them correctly and correlate them, they always fit. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth, and you know she is way too old to be pregnant. And listen, Elizabeth had been meaning to put this on Twitter, but she's been busy for six months. So Mary doesn't know her aging, and I say aging, who knows how old she is. She's not, she's not as old as I am, I'm for sure. So she's young kid to me, has conceived a son in her old age, super normally, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. The sixth month. Well, nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, I'm at your service. You know, Joseph's going to have a hard time swallowing this, but God's in this. I'm going to do this. What an honor, you know. And you can tell when she interacts with Elizabeth, we won't get into that for lack of time later in this chapter. She's just saying, I'm so blessed that God would use me for this. She's not the mother of God. She's the mother of humanity of the Messiah. She's not a sinless uh, co-redemptrix, but she may have been one of the greatest women of all time. I don't doubt that. Behold, the bond servant of the Lord, I'm at your disposal. Lord, may it be done to me according to your word, but nobody's going to believe this. You know, it's kind of what she's thinking. And the angel departed from her. So uh, at this time, Mary rose and in a hurry went to go visit Elizabeth. She's going to go check this out and probably to have some time to think about it, too. This is a shocker, right? And then the house of Zacharias and great Elizabeth. And it goes on. And just for lack of time, let's just do some cherry picking. Drop down to verse 46. So we've gone from the angel talking to Zacharias here. Zacharias going home. Elizabeth getting pregnant. Angel telling Mary she's going to be supernaturally pregnant. Now Mary going down to wherever Elizabeth lives, somewhere near Jerusalem. And now they're interacting. Look at verse 46. Mary said to Elizabeth, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. She's a savee. She's not a sinless, perfected person. There ain't no such thing, except for the Lord Jesus. For he's had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on all generations, even in the year 2018, in Duncan, Oklahoma, will call me blessed, right? For the mighty one has done great things, and it goes on from there. Uh, but for lack of time, let's just say that Mary's response is faith that sought additional legitimate information, and she got that and submitted to God's will. Now, let's go to Matthew. With those thoughts from Luke ringing in our ears, go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And it, there's a um, cold case homicide detective in Los Angeles County, uh, J. Warner Wallace, who was an agnostic who became a Christian in part because as he read the Gospels, he saw how the four testimonies line up just like somebody at a traumatic event. Four different eyewitnesses will give you complimentary but different, differing but not divergent testimony. And you really see this when you when you read Matthew, knowing what Luke just told us. And it's interesting, Jonathan, Luke kind of gives us uh, 
the birth records from Mary's point of view, because he interviewed her at the beginning of his gospel. He said, I've interviewed a lot of the people uh, that I'm talking about here, uh, kind of a personal, private side of it. Matthew talks about the birth from Joseph's point of view, from the public legal point of view. And they 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 line up exactly perfectly, uh, just the way that two reliable witnesses to a murder or a car wreck or, or some great event, some uh, touchdown catch at, at uh, OSU beating OU, which happens like once every 10 years. So we got to enjoy it. I can't remember the last time it happened, but boy, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I know that. Uh, yeah, look at Matthew one eighteen. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, but before they came together, before they cleaved, which enters into covenant and became one flesh, the uh, the marital act, before that happened, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And you read Luke, and that means she's at least six, or three months pregnant when she gets back to town. Because the Luke narrative says... You know, she goes down at the sixth month of the pregnancy, just before the birth, Mary starts heading back, and they have taken her a few days to get back. So she's, you know, she's showing, and she's been out of town for months, and it doesn't look good. And so Joseph just said, well, it must have been a miracle, no problem. A lot of skeptics think that everybody in the Bible is so gullible. They just think everything's a miracle. No, they don't, you know. What does Zacharias say? Don't believe it, Right? What Joseph say? Must be a miracle. No, they don't. They just assume the obvious. Joseph, her husband, he had that status, his fiance would say, her fiance would say today, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her and not wanting to, to subject her to public stoning, was going to put her away secretly. Actually, it was a legal act to end a betrothal back then. It was that serious. But when he had considered this, and before he could act, probably overnight, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. It doesn't tell us it's Gabriel, but it's probably Gabriel again, in my opinion, uh, in a dream or through a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, relative of David, and that's important. The Messiah's got to be through David, Solomon, right? Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. That's just what Gabriel said back in Luke, right? She'll bear a son, not a daughter. They call him Yeshua, which means God's Savior. And he will, because he's going to save his people from his sins, uh, from their sins, I should say. Uh, and all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by God to the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with a child, bear a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel, which means God's with us. Joseph woke from the dream, did just as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took Mary as his wife, leave, cleave, become one flesh. Leave your parents, you got to be an adult. You can't be depending on your parents to get married because... A, Marriage is an adult thing. It's not easy, is it, Sydney? Don't answer that. Uh, it's not easy for some of us because we're imperfect husband. Leave, okay? Cleave means to enter into a commitment. That's what you do at a wedding ceremony. You commit, you covenant in, uh, to uh, all the things you promised, you know, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, you know, richer or poorer. Uh, I always say I got married under false pretenses because when my wife married me, I was pre-dental biology, making good grades, got to dental school, had an eye problem, had a heart change, halfway through dental school, left. I decided I wanted to go to dental seminary. I actually decided a year before all that happened. And uh, so she and her parents thought they were getting a dentist. They ended up with a preacher. So I got married under pro- false pretenses. But uh, she uh, she does have a lawyer's, especially after this past week, she's got a lawyer's number on speed dial. Uh, but uh, I think we're going to survive. 
So Joseph got, got up and they cleaved. They got a rabbi and they entered into a covenant, but they don't become one flesh until after the birth. Kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and they named him Joseph. Now, they named him Yeshua, right? For obvious reasons. Wow. What's the initial response of Joseph? We saw Zacharias doesn't believe it. Mary believes but has intelligent, legitimate questions. Joseph doesn't ask for confirmation, doesn't ask for explanation. He just, I think it's called trust and obey. Didn't we just sing about that? And that kind of the way Christian life is supposed to be led? That's the ideal way. Three different believers, Zacharias, Mary, and Joseph, three different initial reactions to significant words from God. Sounds like the period of the sowers to me. You know, you've got no germination, and then you've got the rocky, weedy, and good soil. That's A. Let's go to B, shall we? B is one of my favorite letters. Of course, I like them all. That's just, just me. I just got a big heart, okay? Birth in Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2, this is the Christmas passage we read every Christmas, and we should, and we love it. But boy, you never wear it out, and you learn new stuff all the time. We're going to see that this birth in Bethlehem literally fulfills a prophecy from 700 years before that said the Messiah would be born in the little town of Bethlehem. Nothing important had happened there for a thousand years when Jesus was born, we said last week. Uh, And then we're going to see some Iraqi astronomers don't let the Discovery Channel convince you they're astrologers. There's no reason for pagan astrologers to take the time to give hundreds of thousands of dollars of stuff to to uh, a little Jewish baby in a little town nobody had thought about for a thousand years. Okay, Look at verses 1 through 5 of Luke chapter 2. Now in those days, the days... Uh, in which John the Baptist was conceived supernormally, and now Mary has conceived supernaturally. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Uh, he, there really was a Caesar Augustus. There really was a Roman Empire. I guess they're going to have to stop teaching that in high school uh, history now because it helps the New Testament, right? You can't. You know, it's all history, man. It's all it's all real. Um, that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth was the way the arrogant Romans referred to the Roman Empire and Luke tongue-in-cheek, is using their terminology, going, can you believe they actually think they control the whole world? We know who controls the whole world, don't we? It's not the Roman Empire. It's not Caesar Augustus. Uh, that all the world, the uh, Roman Empire, be taxed. This was the first census taken while prote there uh, is translated while in the King James, and everybody else follows suit, even though we all know based on the linguistics, it means before and that actually fits the history. Harold Honer, who wrote uh, his PhD for Cambridge University thesis, or his dissertation on the um, uh, the chronology of the New Testament, uh, goes into 18 pages on why um, that is translated uh, while in many, probably the English version you're looking, but it should be translated before. That's cutting edge uh, scholarship. No extra credit, no extra charge for that. But there is going to be a tip. Uh, Jar right up there, right after service, so if you like that, write that down, while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So again, Luke puts everything on a historical timeline. He's checked it out. He's saying this really happened, and you can read about it in secular history for the timeline, and then I'm telling you what else happened. And everyone was on his way to register the census to their own city of origin based on their genealogy. And Joseph, who lived in Nazareth in the north, we saw that before, right? 
That's where Mary and Joseph were living up here, even though their area of and Bethlehem is right there, about six miles due south of Jerusalem, downhill all the way, even though Herod and the wise, his wise men in the, the Sanhedrin didn't want to check it out themselves. They'd rather send Iraqis to go find him. Joseph went up from Galilee, the region, the city of Nazareth, specifically to Judea, the region, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. What does Bethlehem mean? House of bread, right? Jesus is the bread of life. Because he, and it turns out Mary too, and Matthew again gives you the details in the first 17 verses of Matthew, was of the house and family of David. Why is that important? Because when you look at, well, Micah 5, 2, written in 700 B.C., says that Bethlehem, and not the one in Galilee, but the one specifically in Judea, the city of David, be where the Messiah be born, right? Uh, we're looking at Old Testament prophecy when you look at Ma- when you look at uh, Micah, look at Malachi. We've seen those prophecies already this morning, written before the actual events of the life of Christ. But when you look at and categorize Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah, his first coming, you get a lot of information which narrows down to only one person. You know where he's going to be born, the basic time frame, who he's going to be. He's going to be a human being, not an alien, an angel. He's going to be male, not a female. He's going to be a Semite. Not a Gentile, he's going to be descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through the tribe of Judah, family of David. And then this really narrows it down, right? So this is all important. He's assuming you kind of know that, but he's going to mention it so you won't forget. Now look at verses, uh, well, you know what? Let's go to, let's go to Bethlehem. Okay. There's actually, I didn't take that picture it's off the internet, but we still have shepherds outside of Bethlehem today. Uh, many of, you who are here have been there. There's Bethlehem, modern Bethlehem, and here, those are sheep, right? Okay. Uh, things not to do. If you have, even when you get reinforcements, when one of the dads shows up, you're taking care of seven grandkids, think twice before you take them to the rodeo. We took them to the rodeo Friday, and uh, they loved it. In fact, they loved it so much, Lincoln didn't want to leave. We tried to convince him at 9.45 it was over, he wasn't buying it. We had to drag him you know, out of there, you know, but um, he'll get over it, you know. Now, if you look at the church of the nativity, which was built long time after the birth of Christ, it looks like a cross on purpose. And here's nativity uh, square. And every year, even CNN will show you everybody in that uh, area there getting ready to celebrate Christmas Day. This is our tour group in uh, Nativity Square there, there's Jamie, there's Jonathan, there's Kathy, there's Tom, there's the guy from West Virginia we couldn't get rid of, there's, <laughs> there's Debbie, there's Kristen, there's somebody, I'm not sure whom, there's, I think Candace, maybe, or maybe that's Julie, right? Real people. Now here's what you don't know, I pointed this out. If you do an about face, you turn 180 from where Jonathan is, the Muslims, and they have a right to do so, but they like to put mosque right next to our stuff. But they don't want us building churches near theirs, you know. It's going to make sure you know when you're in that square, you know, we're, we're calling the shots around here. Uh, this is some pictures I took place inside of that church just for historical purposes, you know. Here's my first wife, and she's my favorite. Just so you know. Here's my first daughter-in-law. Uh, I like both of them just the same, both of my daughters-in-law. I uh, forgot who that guy is. There's the beautiful Julie Miller and some bald guy she was with that day. 
Uh, I show you this picture as we're moving down stairs to where, according to tradition, this is not the authentic uh, location, but it's close to that. I show you that because there's me, and here's a guy. I have no sales resistance. This guy trying to sell me, you know, the you know part of the cradle, part of the manger that they put Jesus in there. You know, I wasn't buying it, but he, you know, they were trying to sell you stuff. But you go downstairs in that bottom of that church, and they have a silver star marking where the manger was located. Actually, it would have been behind and to the left somewhere. But that's a traditional site. But somewhere in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem, the birth took place, but we're not sure exactly where it took place. But, uh, Jonathan, that was you. And you haven't aged a bit. And, and he's had two sets of twins. His wife actually had them, but he's had two sets of twins. And he's really, he's a lot older, but, uh, and he's much wiser too. But, uh, it's great. Okay, let's look at verses 6 and 7 of uh, Luke chapter 2. I'm having too, too much fun up here, aren't I, today? I love this stuff, man. While they were there, Mary and Joseph, and she's nine months pregnant, and she wouldn't be traveling unless it was absolutely necessary, according to Roman law. And that shows you something. These are observant Jews obeying the law. Okay? And listen, Caesar Augustus wasn't a Christian. Not even close. Okay? Um, while they were there in Bethlehem, even though they live in Nazareth, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, which means she had more of the old-fashioned way, but this is the first super, and we know the supernatural conception, virgin conception, virgin gives birth. And she wrapped him in cloths, almost like a dead man, and laid him in a cattle trough. Well, that's exactly where the Son of God's going to be laid, right? We're going to think he's going to be in a palace. He's going to have a gold-entrusted bassinet, right? God breaks all the paradigms of human religion and human thinking, human viewpoint, in the person work of Jesus Christ in salvation by grace through faith because there's no room for them in. So they're in a, they're in a, in a manger, cattle trough, stable kind of situation, and that's it. Now, that is a, a photograph. It was kind of Matthew Brady's great-great-great-great-grandfather forced them all to stand still for like eight minutes to get that. And it's actually not a photograph. That's an artist's reconstruction. And this is actually what a, a, a manger is a cattle trough. I think it'd be better for us to translate it that way, except you couldn't sing away in a cattle trough because it doesn't rhyme. So you have to put manger in there. But manger almost cleans it up too much. You're talking about, you got hay there. I mean, I know you mothers are thinking, any germaphobes out there? You can say, I'm not going to put my newborn in that. Trust me, Mary had wrapped up in cloths in part uh, to keep from getting uh, some, you know, some kind of infection there, whatever. Uh, in the same region, just outside of the city of Bethlehem, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord, another angel. This is a big thing. When you got the incarnation of the Son of God happens once, you've got angelic re- announcements and reinforcement. What's happening here? Um, look at verse 8 and following. Here's the good stuff. In the same region, there were shepherds. Angel appears before them. They're terribly frightened. I like the King James, Anthony. It says, sore afraid, which meant terribly frightened in 1611. The reason I don't use King James, even though it's a great translation, no doubt the greatest English translation of all time, it was finished in 1611. The English language has changed a lot since 1611. The Bible hasn't changed. The Greek text hasn't changed. It's the English language that has changed. And I think most people have a hard time figuring that out. It's hard enough as it is. So I would say let's go with the translation. It helps us. Uh, on the other hand, if you use the King James, you need people like me to tell you what it means. Right? So that's good. 
Not, not just me. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Does that sound familiar? Every time they reassure. But behold, I bring you good news. I bring you euangelion, a great joy. It will be for all the people, not just for Jews. I'm not ashamed of the gospel's power of God and salvation for uh, all who believe the Jew first and also to the Gentile, right? All the people. For today in the city of David, nothing important has happened there for a thousand years. But Micah said the Messiah is going to be born there. The Messiah has been born there. He's the Savior. He's Christ. He's the Messiah, the anointed one of God. He's the one the Old Testament's all about that promised would come. And this will be a sign to you. He'll be the only baby in this small village tonight that's going to be wrapped up like a dead man lying in a cattle trough. That's the only one in town you're going to find. So just go to check the stables. You're going to find a baby wrapped up like a dead man. Isn't that amazing? Looks like a little dead man. He comes to ultimately die from day one. That's his purpose, you know. Uh, destroy this temple in three days I raise it up. And suddenly there appeared with that one angel, the announcer, the one with the message, a whole multitude of heavenly hosts. This is a heavenly choir saying, we assume they're singing it, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased to show his grace by sending them a sign fulfilling the promise. That's the idea. Verse 15, when the angels had gone away, Back to heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem. That's interesting. When the Magi show up in a minute, uh, maybe a year later, and go to the capital and tell Herod uh, the Messiah has been born in Bethlehem within the last year, and he doesn't uh, know what city to, to check, he asks his religious scholars to say, where, where, the Old Testament says that somewhere, right? So yeah, Micah 5, 2 says Bethlehem. They all say, hey, to the Iraqi astronomers, go down and and find him. And when you find him, let us know where he is so we can worship him too. They're too lazy to go. These shepherds who've got to divide up, they leave. They they left a guy named Lucky and Lightning. Those were the two guys that were usually asleep at night. They woke them up. Lucky and Lightning stayed and watched the sheep. The other guys, in a hurry, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing, which the Lord's made known to us. So they went in a hurry. They're excited. They're Old Testament believers, man. You don't have to be uh, living in Jerusalem uh, or a priest to be saved. These guys are believers. They, they know what the deal is. And they found a way to marry Joseph and the baby lying in a cattle trough, just like they said, wrapped up like a dead boy, dead man. When they seen this, after they saw it, interact with the parents and so on, they made known the statement which had been made known to them uh, about this child. Uh, I like what J. Dwight Pentecost says. The shepherds were not primarily concerned with their experience. Let me tell you how we felt when this happened. About their emotions. They were interested in sharing the message, the truth about who this baby was. Christianity is not based on your emotional impulses. It's based on the truth of the incarnation, substitutionary atonement, literal resurrection, promised return of the Savior, the second person of Trinity. And once we make it just another emotional thing, including the laws of the country. Now, if you emotionally feel badly about the laws, you can't obey them anymore. It's not a good thing. It's not a stable deal. But once, when they interacted with all this, they made known the statement from the angel and is all about who, who the baby is. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, who's the thinker, treasures all this thing in, in her heart, pondering it in her heart. And the shepherds went back to work. They didn't quit their job or take the rest of the night off. Somebody's got to take care of those sheep. Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just as had been told them. I love that. That's birth in Bethlehem. 
little town in Bethlehem just as prophesied, a normal vaginal birth, but a virgin conception, virgin giving birth, and a supernatural proclamation to average folks that the folks in Jerusalem that were religious probably would look down their noses at because they get dirty with their hands a lot. Now let's go to, as we finish today, let's go to Matthew chapter 2. And I'm going to warn you, you can't use Christmas cards as the basis of theology, Murray, okay? Beware of using Christmas cards as the basis of your theology. I know that many Christmas cards have the shepherds and the wise men all around the manger. Never happened. How do I know that? Luke 2 is the night of the birth. That's what we just read. Matthew 2 is after the birth, probably many, many months later, maybe a year later. To be safe, Herod kills him two years and under. So he's thinking big. The baby is not an infant anymore. Different Greek word. They're not in a stable. They're in a house. And, you know, Matthew is thinking, well, nobody will have a problem with that. Nobody will, will do Christmas cards with the Magi at the manger because of the first thing he says, basically, in Matthew chapter 2. You look at Matthew chapter 2. Now, after, you see that? Prepositions will make you or break you, man, in the Bible study. It doesn't say on the night he was born. That's what Luke said about the shepherds. After Jesus was born. You see that, Dustin? After. A-F-T-E-R. We're going to have Babylonian big shots come in devotion and King Herod plotting to kill the baby. Now, after, months later, more like probably a year later, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, and the family just stays there. They're waiting for more information. I think Joseph's probably thinking, he's supposed to be born here. I guess we're supposed to stay here. He's just staying until he gets more information. I would say, bloom where you're planted. Just be faithful doing what you're supposed to be doing until God makes it clear you're supposed to do something else. Otherwise, just hang in there. Just keep banging your head against the wall, man. Because it, uh, it feels so good when you stop. That's the thing. Right? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, what did I have for breakfast this morning? Remind me not to eat it again. I, I think I'm just so ecstatic that I haven't had to tell one of the kids, no, or stop, for like almost, what, an hour now. Since It's great. It just feels so liberating, man. I'm, I'm kidding. Not really. But um, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, you ever eight is enough? Listen, my house, seven is too many. But <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's fun, you know. All traumatic events like this, give it a couple of weeks, it makes you stronger. Uh, but, you know, these kids are so beautiful, man, and it goes by so fast. And you realize the youngest one now is 19 months, and, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Vivian was 19 months. You know, just, I mean, she's amazing at, at every level, and they all are, but, I mean, it's just, it just goes by so fast. It's hard to believe. Uh, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, as Luke told us, so you know that, in Judea, in the days of Herod, and Herod dies in 4 B.C. If you need more information about that, we can talk later. <laughs> uh, the calendar is a convention, you know. Uh, Magi from the east. These are not uh, Babylonian pagan ast- astrologers. They are Babylonian astronomers who have the Old Testament. Daniel, Ezekiel were written in Babylon. They had the, you know, the Tanakh there, most of it. Uh, they knew all about it. These were Gentile believers in the promise of the Messiah, and now they're going to see him in person. But they've gotten uh, supernatural insight that the Messiah has been born, but they don't have Micah 5.2, or they don't know about it. 
So the king of the Jews, if you're going to be looking for the president of the United States and you're from Bangladesh and you've got all expenses paid, what city are you going to go to? You're going to go to Dunk, going to start in Duncan if you're looking for the president of the United States? Las Vegas? Where are you going to go? You're going to go to Washington DC. Now what if he's in Singapore? Well, he's out of town. But you're going to start at the capital. They're going to the capital because they're looking for the newborn king of the Jews. They're assuming all the Jews are going to react like they are. Happy that he's here. They don't understand the depravity of man, do they? Go to Jerusalem. It's bit, it's obvious they're from out of town. Where's the new? Where's the the one who's been born king of the Jews? And notice it doesn't say newborn. Uh, for we saw a star in the east, a point of light, kind of like the light that led the Israel, Israelites during the wilderness journey. It's a movable point of light. It's not a star star. Aster just means anything bright in the sky. Uh, and have come to worship him. So again, these are like the shepherds. These are not uh, clueless people. These are Old Testament believers looking for the advent of the Messiah. When Herod the king heard this, and Herod the Great had several of his sons killed. He was very paranoid about his power. Uh, he's very capable of anything. He's troubled. He doesn't want any competition. And all Jerusalem with him. So gathering together the chief priests and the scribes of the people, that means uh, Nancy, the theological experts from Jerusalem, he said, where does the Old Testament say that the Messiah is going to be born? Where does the Tanakh say the Messiah is going to be born? Herod doesn't know. And these guys knew. It's the it's the uh, uh, Micah 5-2 passage. They said, we know exactly, they can quote it in Hebrew for you, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what was written by the prophet in 700 B.C., you Bethlehem in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, even though you don't look like much. For out of you shall come a ruler, even greater than David, who shall shepherd my people, Israel, the Messiah. Then Herod secretly called the Magi, the Babylonian Iraqi astronomers, and determined when they saw that star, that point of light, which wasn't where it's supposed to be. And I think they got some probably angelic input too. The text doesn't say that. And he sent them to Bethlehem. I said Babylon. That's good. And said, slow down. Go, watch, watch this. Rather than sending the theologians who know Micah 5-2 in Hebrew, they don't, they got stuff to do. They got paperwork, you know? They probably want to go fishing too. Uh, go search carefully for the child, you Iraqi Babylonian, uh, he's thinking of unclean people. And when you have found him, report to me so I may come and worship him. You know what? I would say the reason isn't always the real reason. Are there lies in the Bible? Inerrantly recorded lies. This is a lie. Does this, does Herod want to know where the baby Jesus is so he can worship him? Why? What does he want to know? He wants to kill him, right? That's a lie in the Bible. Inerrantly recorded, right? That's what the guy said, right? So, uh, sometimes people, the reason is just the least embarrassing excuse, right? Not always, but quite often. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the point of light, the aster, we're not talking about a star like the sun or Alpha Centauri, but a point of light that's movable that can actually lead you somewhere, kind of like the pillar of fire by night that led Moses and the gang, uh, which they'd seen when they were in the east, went on before them and reappears. And it takes them all six miles downhill all the way, Julie. And now watch this. Till it came and stood over the place where the child was. Now where did Luke leave them? They're in a stable. Baby's in a manger, wrapped up like a dead man, newborn. Look what's look what happens. Verse ten. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. And coming into the house, what's the difference there? They're in a house. Where they get a house? What does Joseph do? 
Carpenter, he's building a house. Maybe they just rent a house, but they've got a house. They're not in a stable anymore. Jesus is no longer in a cattle trough. I'm sure Joseph made him the best possible uh, cradle they could afford. They saw the child. That's a different Greek word. Uh, means baby as opposed to infant newborn. And they fell on the ground and worshipped him. How could these be pagan astrologers if they're worshipping a Jewish baby? They're worshipping a Jewish baby because they believe he's the Messiah who's going to rule the whole world. And they're right. right? And then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. A lot we could say about that, don't have time. How many magi were there? What did you say, Katie? It doesn't say. Everybody assumes since they've got three kinds of gifts, there's three magi. That's another thing you're going to see on your Christmas card. Right next to the shepherds, you're going to see three guys with crowns on. <laughs> they didn't have crowns. They would have been aristocratic. But they, Babylonians would not have bought, would have, they wouldn't want a crown because the, the guy in charge at home wouldn't like that. But they weren't kings. They were astronomers who believed in the promise of the Messiah and now they're worshiping. And it's very important they've got this valuable stuff, Mary and Joseph, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because after, the, I don't think they just spent five minutes and left. They probably spent a couple of days or a couple of weeks at the house talking. Uh, and I bet Mary pondered that stuff too, right? And then having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod and telling him exactly where the baby Jesus is, they go home a different way. Now, when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. Remember, Joseph is told that Mary is supernaturally pregnant. He marries her immediately, but doesn't consummate the marriage. He says, get up right then. It's probably three in the morning. Take the child and his mother. Go to Egypt. This is the flight into Egypt. It was flight 207 American Airlines. No, it wasn't a flight in Egypt. But if it had been a flight, it would have been Pontius the pilot flying the plane. Uh, and remain in Egypt until I tell you the all clear, for Herod is going to search for the child and destroy him. But that's out of his jurisdiction in Egypt. So Joseph got up that night and goes. And Joseph is one of the all-time great guys. He dies fairly early in Jesus' childhood, almost certainly, because he's not mentioned after the age of 12 in Jesus' life, even uh, proleptively. So uh, he remains there until the death of Herod. This was fulfilled the a prophecy from Jeremiah. Uh, or from Hosea, I should say. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked, so Herod's kind of waiting a couple of days, a couple of weeks, and a couple of months, he realizes the Magi are not going to come and tell him where Jesus is. Uh, he becomes very enraged, and he'd already killed several of his sons. He kills more uh, before he dies. And he slew all the male babies, the children who were in Bethlehem, two years and under. So he, they're probably uh, thinking Jesus is a little over a year old, and he's just going to make sure, overkill. And this would not have been 10,000 babies but because it was a small town, but it still is this horrible thing according to the time which he turned for the Magi. And all that's based on the Jeremiah prophecy. But verse 19, when Herod died, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared and dreamed to Joseph and said, get up, you can leave Egypt. You take the child back to Israel because those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up and apparently thinks he's supposed to go back to Bethlehem. But when he heard that Archelaus, one of Herod's more vicious sons, was now reigning over Judea in the place of his father, he was afraid to go there, which was a good uh, impulse. And after getting, getting another dream, he goes back to Nazareth. So they came to Nazareth. So the carpenter, who's the legal but not the physical father, will raise Jesus as his own son, humanly speaking. And Jesus will be a Nazarene. Okay? So, boom. 
let's close here. I hope you've uh, seen some things maybe you haven't seen before or reinforced some things you've forgotten about, kind of the Christmas story. But let me uh, say two things as I close. Uh, the real remaining of Christmas is the babe in the cattle trough was the God-man Savior. Uh, that's the main takeaway from, I think, the Christmas story we should see. But look at this. John 1 says, He was in the world, and the world had been made through him, but the world, by and large, didn't know him when he was here. Came into his own, the Jewish people, and by and large, those who were his own did not receive him, but to the one, every individual who does receive him, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, he gives the right to be children of God to those who believe on his name. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not something we do for God. It's something he does for us and through us. The terms are faith, which is a rational act, but it's not a meritorious work. It's active, receptive trust. And that's because the basis is all of God's grace expressed through the substitutionary atoning sacrifice of Jesus for our sins on the cross, validated by his literal bodily supernatural resurrection. Can't reproduce it in a laboratory, and that's actually a good thing. So, you know, our invitation on this Christmas in June is if you've not received the ultimate gift, you can have it. According to John, uh, all who believe on his name, his name means God, man, Savior. And uh, the book of Romans says, but to the one who does not work, but who believes in him, but justifies the ungodly, that person's faith is reckoned as righteousness. Our sins imputed to Christ and judged his righteousness imputed to us when we believe. Because Christ died for our sins, we don't have to die in our sins. And at the end of the crucifixion, the atonement, I should say, he says, paid in full. One Greek word, telestai, means paid in full. They'd actually stamp that or write that on paid bills of sale. If Dustin came into Nazareth from Sepphoris and nobody knew who he was, and he bought a donkey from some guy from, from Publius, and he's walking out of town with the donkey, everybody's going to say, that's Publius' donkey. I'm not sure who you are. Let's get eight guys because he's got some muscles. And they'd say, hey, you're stealing privilege of donkey. And you'd say, no, it's not, because you'd have a bill of sale that said Telestai on it. I bought Publius's donkey for so many shekels. That's what the Lord says when he says, it is finished, paid in full. He's not dead anymore, and that's very important. And, and obviously, the uh, resurrection validates the supernatural power of Jesus to give life after death because he was resurrected from the dead. Uh, number two, life lessons for everybody here. You know, I think we see in A and B, God will just flat, I guarantee you, God will work directly or indirectly, supernaturally, supernormally, and providentially to accomplish his purposes, and nothing's going to stop him. And yet this purpose involves our personal responses. I mean, look at it. Does Mary show any initiative, or is she just a passive robot? Is she being remotely controlled? Does Joseph show any initiative? Yeah, he shows immediate initiative. Did the shepherds show any initiative? They had to hustle down real quick and leave somebody watching the sheep, right? Did the Magi show initiative? Yeah. It took months out of their career. These guys are big shots. They spent a lot of money. Those gifts may have been worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they're going to need that to survive in Egypt because the prices are high. They show a lot of initiative, right? Uh, same is true for us, right? God has purpose for us and it's glorify himself, but it's going to involve uh, some prioritizing and some effort on our part. And God blesses that and he empowers that, but it's not just uh, automatic pilot, right? 
but it's a joy to know and serve the Savior. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to be our Savior. Lord Jesus, I'm thankful to you for taking the role of the sendee, uh, of a servant. You didn't come to be served, but to serve, give your life a ransom for many. Holy Spirit, I thank you that uh, you uh, open our hearts to see and draw us to believe in the Savior. You uh, regenerate us and you empower us to live. And yet you call us to walk worthy one step at a time. Help, help us to accept the challenge this week in a new way. Here's the first day of the week, the first significant thing we do the first day of the week, the day of the resurrection, is get together with believers of like faith and practice to worship and to study and to think and reflect and rededicate and help us to rededicate ourselves, all of us, including me, to take the walk of faith one step at a time every day, starting right now. Uh, to your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.